I believe we're in our final weekend of the Religion Rehab series. Okay, so I am so excited about this because I've got to be honest with you. If there's any spirit uh, I hate, it's a spirit of religion. Now, what do I mean by that? Some of you might be confused. It's a, look, religion is used to kind of like infer Christianity sometimes. I'm not talking about religion in that sense. I'm talking about the life-sucking, individuality-draining, joy-squashing, law-condemning spirit that the enemy will try to lump on your back. And just please, please do not ascribe uh, a loss of life or condemning laws to, to God or to Jesus. It's actually the enemy that comes in and tries to burden Christians who have been, you know, just think about it. Someone comes in, they've been set free from sin. They've been told the good news of the gospel. Guess what? Even though your sins were red as scarlet, I have washed you white as snow. And then sometimes they'll come into some churches, not this one, and then immediately they're given a big old burden of law on their back and they go from, oh, fun and holy. I can get down with that too. You better tithe immediately. You better serve on 700 teams. You better be at church every time the doors are open. And if you're having fun, God's mad. What? What in the world? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Come on. So today I want to speak a message called Losing My Religion. And it's so basic and so simple. But I don't want you to sit here today with a mocking spirit. Eh, we've heard all that before. We'll have you, have you. I think we need to hear it again. But just not hear it. We need to know it. Okay, so... so I just see that in the Bible, and I've been reading through the Gospels again. I love the book of Matthew. Yeah. I've been reading again about who Jesus was. And I can't help but notice, even though Jesus was Jesus, gentle shepherd, tender and mild, he was also really unafraid of telling people what time it was. Yeah. Like he, he would get up in the grill. And you know, I, I find that the, the people that he confronted most of all were the religious Pharisees and Sadducees, pun intended. And he was always telling, it was always confronting them because they were misrepresenting God. And trust me, Jesus will always enter the room and take care of everything which misrepresents the true heart of the Father. That's why he flipped a table in, in the temple, okay? So he walks into the temple and they've just turned it into a place of commerce. They, they had no regard for the hearts of men, but in men instead they were just making money. And Jesus walks in and he flips the tables. I love that. I love that Jesus is a table flipper. And it says that he fashioned a whip. So it tells me that he didn't just come in and lose his cool. He had time to fashion a whip. So this was thought out. So he had time to go, is this just me being angry? Am I just losing? Am I just, you know, is this just me being rash? No. It, I mean, it's probably got to take you at least a good 40 minutes to fashion a whip. So he fashions a whip and then he drives them out. And he says, my father's house is not a den of thieves, but a house of prayer for all nations. Okay. So he first identifies what isn't right 
and then reminds us of what is. You aren't this. You're this. So that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do today, losing my religion. And I might be a little bit confrontational um, and, and agitating today, but, but I, it's not toward you. I like you. But it's that spirit. Oh, I just hate that spirit more than any other spirit, that religious spirit that suffocates the true representation of God. So Luke 11, it says this, this is Jesus. This is a side of Jesus that many of you may not know existed. Oh, oh, get ready. Luke 11, starting at verse number 37. When he finished that talk, talking about Jesus, a Pharisee asked him to dinner. Sounds pleasant. He entered his house and sat right down at the table. The Pharisee was shocked and somewhat offended when he saw that Jesus didn't wash up before the meal. But the master Jesus said to him, I know you Pharisees. You burnish or polish the surface of your cups and plates so they sparkle in the sun. But I also know your insides are maggoty with greed and secret evil. Oh, wow, Jesus. <laughs> Stupid Pharisees. Jesus wasn't PC. Didn't the one who made the outside also make the inside? Turn both your pockets and your hearts inside out and give generously to, to the poor. Then your lives will be clean, not just your dishes and your hands. I've had it with you. You're hopeless, you Pharisees. Frauds. You keep meticulous account books tithing on every nickel and dime you get, but manage to find loopholes for getting around basic matters like justice and God's love. Hey, careful bookkeeping and tithing is commendable, commendable but don't neglect the basics. You're hopeless, you Pharisees, frauds. You love sitting at the head table at church dinners. You love preening yourselves in the radiance of public flattery. Frauds, you're just like unmarked graves. Jesus was rather savage. I'm just going <laughs> to... You're just like unmarked graves. People walk over that nice, grassy, Christian ease surface, never suspecting the rot and corruption that is six feet under. I know. One of the religion scholars spoke up, Teacher, do you realise that in saying these things that you're offending and insulting us? And I love Jesus' response. Yes. Yes, I know. It's on purpose. And then he goes on and says, And I can be even more explicit. You're hopeless, you religion scholars. You, now listen to me. Listen to me. Hear the word of the Lord today because I'm believing that there are some people here that God wants to set free from a lifetime of religious tradition that has rubbed from you and misrepresented to you the true heart of your father. You load people down with rules and regulations, nearly breaking their backs, but you never lift a finger to help. Then Jesus created a microphone, dropped it, and walked out the door. <laughs> I just added that bit because I felt like something was missing. So 
<laughs> so Jesus came to earth with the express purpose of revealing the true heart of the Father. So in the Gospels, Philip, the disciple, comes to Jesus. Jesus, will you please just reveal to us the Father? Jesus looks at him and says, Philip, how long have you been with me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What does God look like? Well, he looks like Jesus. They're one and the same. Jesus came to reveal the Father. See, I reckon the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost were having a conversation in heaven and they were looking down at earth at the way that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were misrepresenting God. And people were being completely disillusioned about who God was. They had this complete misrepresentation. And they got together and they said, we've got to do something about this. Jesus, I want you to go down and I want you to restore the relationship, not just pay the price for their sin, but properly identify and reveal to the people who I am because they've had some fake news going on in their life. So there are three things that I want to share with you today. These are three truths that religion does not want you to know. And again, they're really, really simple, but they will change your life if you apply them. The first one is this. I want you to get your pen, get your iPhone. If you need to etch it, tattoo it on your arm. It's very in style right now. You can. Just look at me and hear this. God likes you. God likes you. You know, we hear a lot about how God loves us and it's true. But do you know that God likes you? Do you know how many people who have been raised in religious churches that don't have an understanding that God likes them? Do you know that, that God didn't make a mistake when he made you? The Bible says that you were handmade in the lower parts of the earth, in God's little workshop. He put you together. Do you really think that God would make something he didn't like? Because I don't. But you think about how many humans are walking around the face of the earth today thinking that they either can't come to church or are burdened in church because they think that God doesn't like them. And then we preach things like, come to Jesus because he wants to change you. <laughs> and you sure, to a degree, but I don't think he wants to change us so much as he wants to wash us. Yes. Wash away all those labels that were put on you, all those sticky words, all those misrepresentations of who you are and who God is and the things people spoke over you that weren't truly you, but then you ended up living down to their words. God doesn't want to change you. He wants to wash you. I remember as a little girl, if there was mischief around, I was at the epicenter of it. <laughs> Absolute epicenter. And then I was, uh, then I married a man who was even more mischievous than me. So it was the coming together of two wild currents of mischief. And as a little girl, uh, my, my parents used to, well actually my big sister used to grab me by the cheeks and she used to squeeze them so hard because she knew that she wasn't allowed to, to hit me. So she'd just squeeze my cheeks and that would hurt and she'd look in my eyes and she'd say, Leanne, why are you so mischievous? And the truth was, I didn't know why. I just was. I was born that way. 
remember one time as a little girl sitting in the sandbox and my mom had said to me, Leanne, when you're in the sandbox, you have to have really good sandbox etiquette. You're not allowed to put sand on people. But there was just something about me. Whenever I sat in the sandpit, I would look around at, and, and just be distressed at the lack of sand in people's hair. And it, the, the mischief in me, and there was this one particular day where we had the, the neighbourhood snitch. His name was Ben Fall. And I just knew if I tipped sand on Ben Fall's head that my mother was going to hear about it. But it was like the Lord compelled me. Like, I picked up the sand and I just held it in my hand in the bucket at four years of age. I'll never forget it. And I looked at Ben Fall, the snitch, in the face and I said, Ben, I just need to tell you that I'm going to tip sand on your head. And he goes, okay, you can, but you need to understand I will tell. I said, all right, it's a deal. And I got the bucket and I just tipped him and it just felt so right and it felt so good. And I walked in after Ben and I took my licks and it... But you know what? I reckon God was looking over from heaven going, I like her. <laughs> She's got some spunk and some sparkle. And you know what false religion will try to do? It will try to dull the unique essence of you. Do you know that Christianity, unlike every other religion or most other religions, does not have a uniform? You don't have to wear a robe. You don't have to wear an, an orange jumpsuit and go to the airport and play songs. There, there's nothing. You don't have to wear a three-piece suit and ride a bike. When you come to Jesus, you find the real you. There is no uniform. You know, not too long ago, I walked into a coffee shop and I saw a table of what I immediately knew were worship leaders. They all had on their skinny jeans and the deep neck V and... The little hats, the glasses they didn't need for seeing, the <laughs> shoes without socks and the little tattoo on their wrist that said freedom in Hebrew. <laughs> and look, it doesn't bother me. If you, 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 you wear what you want. But I felt God draw my attention to it because he said, you know what? I don't want my people to be an echo. Yeah. We are not bricks made by the hands of men all the same as the person next to you, replaceable, completely undistinguishable. The Bible tells us that we are living stones. There's something about Christianity. You're a living stone. You're unique. You're irreplaceable. You're raw. You're made by the hand of God. You know what? I love my husband so much. And I had to find that I had to undo some religious narratives in my head because my husband was always so extra and flamboyant in what he wanted to wear. And I was like, well, well hang on, Christian pastors don't wear that. And, and I tried to helicopter wife him and I would lay his clothes out like a toddler. I remember one day seeing him in an ill-fitting pair of suit pants and a boring black shirt and he just looked miserable. And I felt the Lord say to me, Leanne, stop it. I like him and I like that he likes himself. So just to give you some pictorial evidence, can I show a photo of my husband when I came home the other day? <laughs> Look at the shoes. God bless him. I want to tell you today, 
a deeply profound but very simple truth. God likes you. Somebody say it. God likes you. Now say, God likes me. Oh, isn't that liberating? Oh, he doesn't want to change you. He wants to wash you. See, some of us have, have, have come uh, into life and into church today and we're buried under the residue and, and I, I need to find myself. I need to, who, who am I? When you come to Jesus, he'll show you who you really are. He'll show you who you were created to be before the world got its hands on you and you were burdened by a religious spirit that tried to dull your unique sparkle. God likes you. Ah, oh, he really does. When he made you, he smiled. I don't have one of him. I don't have one of her. I'm so delighted in what I put together. And some of us think that Christianity means we need to conform to a certain way of dressing, to a certain preference level. Listen to me today. God likes how he made you. He didn't make a mistake. He doesn't want to change you so much as he wants to wash you. I find that God isn't so much a renovator as he is a restorer. Doesn't want to turn you into something you're not. He just wants to reveal who you truly are. The Bible says in the book of Ezekiel chapter 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and make you clean from all your idols and everything else that has defiled you. When you hang around Jesus long enough, you're going to understand that God likes you. Amen. Somebody needs to shout to God and say amen today because that's a liberating truth. We're not raising clones at C3 San Diego. We're raising a bunch of individuals that love Jesus. We're going to have the same spirit but unique expressions. Is that okay? Second point, equally as profound and simple. God wants you to enjoy your life. A lot of people have this false narrative in their head about God being a fun killer a joy sucker. And somehow when your life is miserable, God's pleased because he's all about sacrifice. But then Jesus comes and again, he came to reveal the father and he says this in John 10, 10. It's the thief or the devil who has come in order to steal, kill and destroy. But just in case you needed confirmation, it is I, Jesus talking about himself, who have come that they may have and enjoy their life and have it in abundance to the full until it overflows. So if you have, if you have any misconceptions about how God feels about how he wants your life to look like, I want you to get John 10.10 10 and I want you to put it on your mirror. You know what kind of life that God wants you to have? One that's full and overflowing in abundance to the full. God wants you to enjoy your life. <laughs> so I want to come from two different angles today to get to this same destination, all right? God wants you to enjoy your life. That's the point I'm trying to make. But I want to come from two different angles because I'm aware today that some people don't have a revelation of this and think that God wants all sacrifice. And other people are over here off with the fairies thinking they can do whatever the heck they want and then wondering why they're train wrecking their life. So I'm going to bring us right down the center. 
There's a scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and it says this, Ecclesiastes 7, 16 to 18. So don't be too good or too wise. I bet you thought you'd never read that in the Bible, right? See, that's why you've got to read it. There's some hidden jewels in here that you're really missing out. Don't be too good or too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? On the other hand, don't be too good. Uh, sorry, don't be too wicked either. Don't be a fool. Why die before your time? Pay attention to these instructions for anyone who fears God will avoid both extremes. Hence the t-shirt. So there are two culprits to loss of life in this scripture. Someone who is too good and someone who is too wicked. So my advice is don't try to be holier than God, but don't try to be more liberal than him either. <laughs> okay, so we're going to start with the people who try to be more holier than God. And so the Pharisees were just like this. So in the beginning, God gave 10 commandments and they were reasonable. 10 really reasonable, like don't kill anyone. Don't lie about people. Don't commit adultery with anyone. Don't envy your neighbor's stuff. It's not going to help you in life. Don't bear false witness. Don't have any idols before me. Honor the Lord. Honor your parents. Keep the Sabbath holy. All really, really good things. But then the religious Pharisees and Sadducees came and they took those 10 laws and they turned them into 631. So that's why Jesus had to come. I, I got to set this right because you've put rules on people that I didn't give them. And many of us out of our ignorance have sat in churches and we believed lies that people have spoken about the things we can and can't do that God never even said. Can I just talk about one particular thing? Because it seemed to me when I came to America almost 14 years ago that, that people in churches were really obsessed about what women could and couldn't wear. Now, do I think that we need to have personal responsibility and that we need to respect ourselves and others with the way we dress? Yes. And it works for both men and women. Listen, don't rock up in a boob tube and a miniskirt, okay? Like have, have a sense of decency even in just respecting yourself. However, I just want to tell you, do you know how many times Jesus spoke about how a woman dressed? Zero. Not a one. And yet the church in America seems to be very obsessed with it. But you know what Jesus did say? He did say to the men when they were piping off about stuff and the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they thought they were so extra and so awesome and so beast mode. <laughs> and he said to them, you know what, guys? You're focusing on the wrong thing. You want me to put all kinds of laws on people, but instead I'm just going to tell you, you take responsibility for yourself. Imagine if we all did that. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. In other words, you know what? You take responsibility for the lust of your eye. But religion will say, no, we don't want to do that. We don't want to have to operate with self-control. Instead, let's cover the woman, lest I ever have to have a tempting thought. We would be foolish to try to turn Christianity into a more acceptable form of Islam. Not allowed to drink. Cover up those sexy elbows and those sexy kneecaps. <laughs> lest you cause a man to stumble. Jesus came in and, and literally cut time in half to say, no, you guys are focusing on the wrong thing. Far be it 
for women to come into our church who have been raised in a culture of the world where they're not taught to respect themselves, come to find Jesus but re be rejected, despised and cast out before they even get to have a chance to have their heart changed. Because we're judging them. Oh, that's too much cleavage to have in church. Stop it. And many of you have come from churches that you've fled because of legalism and control. I want to say to you today, in the name of Jesus, do not try to turn us into the church you hated and left. And a lot of people do it. Oh, God, I want the new wine. Give me the new wine. Give me the new wine, Lord. Oh, but you've got to let him give you a new skin. Otherwise, that new wine he wants to give you is going to leak out when that wineskin breaks because you can't handle your freedom. You're going to have to get really good with some stuff that may make you a little bit uncomfortable. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. But here's what I will tell you. At C3 Church, we're not going to let your pharisaical hand get anywhere near our atmosphere dial. We had a woman join our church at the beginning of our church and she fled her former church because of their legalism and control. And then she came into our church and she was walking around like a little mother hen, clucking, telling all the girls whose clothing she thought was inappropriate. We had to have a word with her and say, you know what? You came here because you hated what you're now currently doing to other people in our congregation. Don't try to be Holy Spirit Junior. Let the Lord do and the Holy Spirit do what the Lord does. Our job is to say, come one and all. You are welcome in the house of God. God loves you. He wants to speak to your heart. My gosh, don't be obsessed with the outside when God always starts from the inside out. What else do I want to tell you? I want to talk to you a little bit about alcohol. Because this is another topic that has been really shied away from in the church in America. And I've got to tell you, not talking about something doesn't help. Right. Now, we just started a recovery program, which I'm really thrilled about. And it's very needed. Do you know how many people in our community have an issue with alcohol or are walking through an addiction? It's actually tons and tons of people. But I, th I think us not talking about the way that God views it is not smart. It's not wisdom. See, I grew up in a home where my parents enjoyed wine, but they never got drunk. There was never excess. And what was modeled to me was healthy. And see, a lot of times in the church, it's just easier because of the mess to say, nobody should drink. And in fact, actually, that was the narrative when we arrived in San Diego. We had some local pastors condemn us because Jürgen and I would have a glass of wine saying, don't you realize that half, even half a teaspoon of alcohol is enough to send your soul to hell? I know, and I just thought to myself, well, you're not reading the Bible. Yeah, you're not. Yeah, the Bible is explicit and talks often about not being drunk, which leads to debauchery, about drunkenness not being righteousness. But it never anywhere, unless you're taking a Nazarite vow, tells you that you're not allowed to drink. Now, if you have an addiction problem or you, you, don't, you lack self-control, then by all means, stay far, far, far away. But for the rest of you who have been sold a lie, a lie, a bill of goods about how God feels about alcohol, you should, as an of-age person, be able to enjoy a glass of wine without guilt. I'll be honest with you. And you know what I reckon? I reckon our society is lacking good role models who know how to model balance. I, I really do. And I think a lot of the problems in this world is not just the excesses, but the, the lack of poor role models. So I wonder if we could get a, a lot better at this. 
before it come, becomes an even deeper problem in our society. If we, if we could have God's thoughts and God's minds about for, for goodness sake, I mean, pick up your Bible. Jesus turned water into wine. He referred to his father as the owner of a vineyard. <laughs> he said, I am the vine. The inferences to this thing, it, it, it's right throughout. And for us to put a level of control and burden on people's backs that the Lord himself has not put on them is not right. In fact, it's very wrong. We're called to model balance. Not excess, balance. Amen, Leanne. So I'm going to give you a scripture. I know this is tent, but I, I, I feel to talk about it because there are so many things that the church has avoided. And I heard a preacher say once, what the church avoids, the devil invades. And has that not been true for the issues of sexuality and alcohol? Because the church has been too afraid because it's like, man, what do we say? If we talk about sex, people are going to have it. Well, yeah, they already are. So let's tell them about God's way of doing things. True for the sex thing, truth for alcohol as well. And if you do have an addiction or, or a problem here today, I want to tell you we want to help you. God wants to set you free. And there's no shame in it. We want to see you at our recovery program on a Thursday. We had, praise God, over 50 people in attendance at our first meeting. And I'm telling you, they are going to be completely delivered in Jesus' name. And enjoy their life because God wants us to enjoy our lives. Okay. Says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4. The Holy Spirit has explicitly revealed. At the end of this age, that's right now, many will depart from the true faith one after another. Devoting themselves to spirits of deception and following demon-inspired revelations and theories. Hypocritical liars will deceive many and their consciences won't bother them at all. They will require celibacy and dietary restrictions that God doesn't expect. For he created all foods to be received with the celebration of faith by those who fully know the truth. Look in my eyes. God wants you to enjoy your life. Sad Christians do not make God happy. Okay, I want to come from the other angle. I told you I was going to come from two sides. Because there are some of us out there, I just got to be honest, come on. I got to put on my pastor hat for a second. And the fear is, oh, if I tell people that God wants them to enjoy their life, they're going to go out and they're going to sin. And they're going to put hot pants on and they're going to twerk at the clubs. And they're going to do all kinds of things they shouldn't be doing. And some of us aren't enjoying our lives simply because we've been burdened down with rules and regulations that God never spoke. Okay, I spoke into that. Okay, the Holy Spirit wants to set you free and liberate you today so you can enjoy your life. But others of you, you're not enjoying your life simply because you're just not doing what God says. See, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said to him, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus simply said, if you want to live, obey my commandments. That's great, isn't it? It's easy. All right. Only 10. I can do that. Easy. And see, I worry sometimes that, that people come in and they may hear a message like this and they think, God wants me to enjoy my life. Well, praise God. Well, um, 
See, my wife, she's, she's very naggy. And I, I noticed this, this other girl, and I just felt like the Lord, in that word from Pastor Leanne, wants me to enjoy my life, and she's single, and my wife's naggy. Oh, my gosh. And God doesn't want us to live with a naggy wife. He talks about it in Proverbs. No, he said, dwell. He said, you're better off dwelling on the rooftop. He doesn't say, divorce her. He says, just spend more time on the roof. <laughs> and so someone who misappropriates this word... Well, God wants me to divorce my wife because he wants me to enjoy my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get a new model, younger. They always are. Yeah, I'm going to let that linger. I'm going to let it linger. Jesus flipped tables. I'm going to do a couple today too. A little bit younger. And, and, and I'm going to buy a new sports car. Yes. One of those Teslas with the wings would be really nice. But here's what happens. That hot younger wife will eventually get older and she'll start nagging your sorry behind too. And then you'll still have a naggy wife but also a bigger car payment. So instead, why don't you just do what Jesus says and then you'll stop train wrecking your life? Because as a pastor, sometimes it concerns me when I go on social media or Facebook and I see those preachers who clearly don't have congregations that they pastor post things like, God is going to remove every obstacle from your happiness. He's going to remove every obstacle and blessing. Your, your season of blessing and favor is coming. And then the most dysfunctional people in the church like it. Tag all their dysfunctional friends with a hashtag, my season is coming, and one of those celebration emojis and a crying face emoji, God is so good. Listen, really, have a think about it for a second. If God was going to remove every obstacle from your blessing, would he have to remove you? Because sometimes, my friends, we are the authors of our own misfortune. And we're not enjoying our lives simply because we're just not doing what God says. Don't be too good, but don't be too wicked. Come on. It's not hard. Life's so complicated. It's really not. It's actually not at all. Only 10 things. Do those 10, you'll live. In fact, Jesus said when they came to him, what, what are the most important commandments? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two things, you're good. You're golden. In other words, you're going to live in such a way where you honor God and honor others. Beautiful. You can do that. And in case you think you can't today, well, let me tell you that the seeds, when you get born again, the seeds of God are on the inside of you. Some of us are trying. Oh, if I just try harder. No. I want you to just really receive this today. Just, just be. It's who you are. When God moved in, when the Holy Spirit came into your life, he didn't come empty-handed. He's not a negligent house guest. He comes in and he brings a fruit basket. Galatians 5 tells us that when we're born again, the fruit of the Spirit, the seeds of the fruit of the Spirit are immediately in our lives. And you'll find where you once had no self-control, you now have the seeds of self-control. You'll find once where you were harsh and and mean that now you've got the seeds of kindness and gentleness and goodness on the inside of you. And those parts of your world that were unforgiving and hateful, now you have the seeds of love. Don't try, just be. It's who you are. Who are you today?
Ooh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Ding, 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 ding. They're all in you. You hit the jackpot when you ask Jesus into your life. It's not about trying harder. It's about remembering who you truly, truly are. And finally, as we come to a close, God loves you. Look in my eyes. Let me tell you that with all my heart, God loves you. He loves you so much. And you know what? I think that the word love has become a little bit of white noise in our society. We've become a bit numb to it because people tag it on an Instagram page and they don't mean it. Oh, love you, love you. God's love is not like the Real Housewives kind of love. Oh my gosh, love you. Stop, stop, right? So we, we've tried to reduce love. Listen, the world, the world has no idea what real love is. Do you know how God spells love? Commitment. Commitment. For God so loved or was so committed to the world that He sent His Son, that whosoever should believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. God loves you. And God spells love, commitment. You know, when my son was going through the darkest time of his life and he didn't love God and he was unfaithful to God, I remember being a little bit distressed as a parent, hearing some of the things he was saying about church and God. And I felt the Holy Spirit just come in and remind me, Leanne, even when he's unfaithful, I cannot be unfaithful because I cannot deny myself. Even when he is unfaithful, I am still faithful. God loves you. He's not a fair-weather friend. His love is strong. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us. This is what Romans 8 says. This is Paul speaking. And he had a lot to forget about his past. For I am convinced beyond any doubt that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, neither the present or the future or any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else. Somebody say anything else. In all creation will be able to separate us from the unlimited love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Will you go up and go ahead and put up my final picture? I remember seeing this particular picture of a man and Jesus on the internet one day and it struck me so powerfully. Again, as I was, felt like I was battling for my son's soul, I felt the Lord say, Leanne, I'm not stressed. Oh, I'm not stressed. Nothing can snatch him out of my hands. And I saw this picture and it spoke to me so profoundly. It's a picture of a man holding a hammer in one hand and nails in the other. And he's held up not by a God who was trying to strangle him, not by a God with hatred in his eyes, but I, I just saw this picture and it so beautifully represented the love of our God commitment. Even when you were the reason that I was hanging on that cross, you held the nails, you held the hammer, I still love you. I'll still keep you when you don't wanna be kept. This is what God's love looks like. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. Love it if you'd stand to your feet today. I want to pray for you.
I heard a saying just recently and I thought it was so beautiful because it was so true. And it was, there are some sins that maybe a man cannot speak of, but there is no sin that the blood of Jesus cannot wash away. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com.